The Rosary of Modern Sorrows brings a new meaning to the rosary by focusing on issues of social justice, a thoughtful gift for those who work for change in our church and world. Check out the Rosary of Modern Sorrows at contemplativerebellion.com. My name is Melissa Buck, and my husband Chad and I uh, really wanted to become parents. And so we tried in a traditional way to have children, but it did not work for us. And so we really felt that we were being called to become foster parents, to be able to give a home to kids in need. And when we decided to go about that, we were looking for an agency that would um, that we could work well with. And there is one agency in our area that has just a stellar reputation for the way that they work with their clients, the way that they, you know, treat birth parents, the way that they care for the children. Uh, and for us, that was St. Vincent Catholic Charities. So we went and introduced ourselves with them. We went to all their introduction classes. They were very um, respectful of us. They listened to us. They made the licensing process really as easy as they could for us because it's a lot of paperwork and everything. And when we started actually fostering with them, I mean, they were really right by our side the whole time. We had a sibling group of three children that came into our home and it was a pretty difficult case. There was a lot of neglect and abuse. And so some of the behaviors of our oldest child, who was four at the time, I mean, it was just, it was hard to understand why he would do such, you know, such things that he was doing. But St. Vincent's really took the time, you know, they got him some therapy and the therapist even included me in some of his play therapy sessions uh, to really understand his behavior so that I could relate to him and bond to him in a better way so that he could be set up to be successful and to start the healing process. Our daughter, our oldest daughter, just never used to smile, was never affectionate. She was left in a crib for the first year of her life. She wasn't used to bonding and attaching. And she has come out of her shell to the point where she'll put her arm around you. She'll tell you that she loves you. And it's just been really cool to see those changes. So where I live here in central Michigan, there is a huge need for foster parents to care for foster kids. We have um, we have several agencies across the area, and then we have the county level DHS, and there are just not enough beds for kids that are coming into care. And by beds, I mean places inside licensed foster homes. So like with a family, I'm not talking bunk beds someplace on, you know, in a group home. I'm talking uh, places for them with foster families. There are children who are being born addicted to drugs and because there's such a shortage of homes for them to go to are being sent home with birth parents instead of being sent to a foster home where it's safe for them to detox. And, and it's just, there's just never enough foster families for the kids that are coming into care. In September of 2017, the American Civil Liberties Union 
filed a lawsuit against the state of Michigan for working with faith-based agencies like St. Vincent Catholic Charities. So St. Vincent's is a Catholic agency, and because of that, they follow the Catholic guidelines in terms of, you know, who they will license or or what, you know, kind of rules and regulations to follow. Now, I am not Catholic myself, but because St. Vincent's is, they have the approach that, you know, if they're going to go license a married couple, they have to write a marriage assessment as part of the licensing process. And so because of their deeply held religious beliefs, they are unable to write that portion for same-sex couples. The government came in and told them that, you know, they have to kind of give up a certain aspect of their religious beliefs in order to still be able to provide services. And it's just something that you can't can't really tell a faith-based organization what their faith is supposed to look like in order for them to work. Religious liberty is one of the most sacred principles of American democracy. The Constitution at once prohibits the establishment or favoring of any religion and protects the free exercise of religion by individuals and groups. But what happens when the free exercise of one person's religion infringes, or is perceived to infringe, on the civil rights of another? In other words, what happens when two people read the same Constitution in different ways? In 2017, a same-sex couple sued the state of Michigan for partnering with faith-based foster care agencies like St. Vincent Catholic Charities. Because of their beliefs about marriage, St. Vincent's wasn't able to perform the certification and endorsement necessary to license that same-sex couple as foster and adoptive parents. The couple could still adopt children with St. Vincent's, but they would have to get a license elsewhere. Two years later, the state of Michigan settled the lawsuit, requiring all agencies with state contracts to comply with non-discrimination requirements and accept all qualified families. In response, St. Vincent took legal action to opt out of that non-discrimination requirement, and the case has been in litigation since. For Melissa and her husband Chad, who worked with St. Vincent to adopt their five children, the legal debate is worrisome. I know my agency and I know their heart and I understand their faith. So when I heard that they were looking to have St. Vincent, you know, have their license with the state revoked or to have them close their doors, I, um, I just, I could not let that happen. Knowing the amount of great work they do in our area, not just with foster care and adoption, but also with immigration services, with counseling, with minorities, just everything that they do for them they deserve to be there. These are great people who do great work. We cannot have them leave our community. We cannot have them leave um, the foster care situation with child welfare. We cannot have them pull out of that because it's going to do just so much more damage to an already stretched system to have them removed from that process. From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic, a podcast about what's at stake in the 2020 election from the people who know the issues best and bring their faith to the voting booth. In this episode, 
we're looking at religious liberty. Not to sound an alarm, but to better understand why, in 2020, religious liberty is so essential for democracy and for every single citizen, irrespective of their beliefs. So, Melissa, the argument that the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, makes in this case is pretty straightforward, that the state, in this case Michigan, should not contract with faith-based adoption agencies like St. Vincent's that turn away same-sex couples. And that seems pretty fair, right? I mean, that, that taxpayer dollars should not go to a private agency that prevents some citizens from participating based on a religious belief. So I'm just wondering how you and your legal counsel respond to that argument. The issue that they have here is it's one part of a licensing agreement. It's writing up about a marriage that they just, because of their faith, they cannot write that specific section without feeling like they are going back on their religious beliefs. And so for that one reason, they are being shut out. And it's not even that they won't work with same-sex couples. If a same-sex couple came to St. Vincent's with a license saying, we want to adopt a kid who's on your docket, we have a license, and they would work with them to adopt that child. And if a same-sex couple came to them and said, hey, we want to get licensed, they would say, listen, you know, we have this conflict. How about we give you a list of all these agencies who don't have that conflict, and then you can get licensed through them. You're still welcome to be a borrowed bed with our agency. You're still welcome to come and adopt through our agency. I mean, they still, they don't turn people away and say, you can never foster. Melissa, considering your personal experience as a foster parent and working with a private foster care agency, St. Vincent's, um, and then finding yourself at the center of a legal case against St. Vincent's for its religious beliefs. I'm wondering, how does all of this shape the way that you think about the issue of religious liberty in the United States today, and especially in light of a major election like the one that's coming up? I think that I look at it from the perspective of regardless of the outcome of an, of an election, and I wish I had, you know, a magic eight ball to see all of that. The one thing I know is that child welfare is still going to be going through a crisis. No matter who wins an election or who loses, we are still going to have this child welfare crisis. We're still going to have kids in need of homes. We're still going to have not enough homes. And we're still going to have just children in desperate need of being placed in loving families. After the break, I'm speaking with George Weigel. He's a Catholic theologian and public policy expert based in Washington, D.C. We talk about the state of religious liberty in the country today, why the Catholic Church advocates so strongly for it, and why Catholics should be thinking about it when they walk into a voting booth. Hi, I'm Colleen Dully, host of America Media's Inside the Vatican podcast. Every week, I get to talk with America's veteran Vatican correspondent, Gerard O'Connell, about the biggest Vatican stories. The Vatican can seem super complicated, but on the show, we break down complex stories and talk about how they fit into the long, slow arc of change in the church. 
You can join us on Inside the Vatican, available on your favorite podcast app. Thanks. Welcome back. To understand the state of religious liberty in America today, and why there are reasons to be concerned about it from a Catholic perspective, I spoke to George Weigel. He's Distinguished Senior Fellow and William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. George, for someone who doesn't follow debates over religious liberty in the United States today, um, I'm just wondering how you would describe the state of this issue in 2020. I think it's a very lively issue in 2020, Sebastian, and and has been for the past 15 or 20 years or so. Um, the meaning of religious liberty, the interpretation of the First Amendment uh, to the Constitution, these have been uh, contested issues throughout the history of the United States, but they've become particularly acute uh, in recent years uh, as certain other issues, uh, the abortion issue, the question of the nature of marriage, uh, other issues where uh, personal lifestyle choices bear on other people's convictions, uh, have have made religious freedom and the full exercise of religious freedom, a serious question in American public life. Um, Religious freedom can't be reduced to simply the right to participate in certain activities on Friday if you're Jewish, Saturday if you're Jewish, Saturday night or Sunday if you're Christian, uh, Friday if you're a Muslim. There's a public meaning to religious freedom. And uh, that is what is often contested today. It seems like an issue that's so fundamental to the very makeup of the United States of America. So I wonder why it seems that we're in this situation where it would be questioned or even under threat. Um, How do you think we got there? Uh, We've gotten there um, through a process that was actually well analyzed by a former religion editor of America Magazine, Father John Courtney Murray, uh, 70-some years ago, uh, a process in which the provision no establishment of religion in the Constitution's First Amendment has tended to reduce the space for the free exercise of religion. So we get what are often, frankly, silly arguments about Christmas trees and prayers before high school football games. But then we get much more serious arguments about uh, the free exercise of religious conviction in in public life, uh, the rights of conscience of individuals not to participate in certain activities, which they uh, deem a violation of their conscientious convictions. This is an ongoing negotiation in, in any democracy. You know, some people have argued that by upholding one person's religious freedom, we're actually discriminating against certain groups or certain other individuals. Um, there's a number of cases that uh, around the United States um, that are dealing with this. Um, you know, in other words, like our tolerance for religious beliefs can actually manifest intolerance to others. Um, what do you make of that tension or how do you wade through that tension? I think the truth of the matter, Sebastian, is that uh, the aggression on the religious freedom front today 
comes almost exclusively from hardcore secularists. It does not come from religious people uh, seeking to impose uh, some sort of dogmatic template uh, on all of society. The aggression comes from the secular world. And that aggression has been aided by this uh, unfortunate notion that dominated the Supreme Court until very recently, that the real driver of the First Amendment is no establishment, uh, rather than the real driver being the free exercise of religion and no establishment being the uh, means to that. I think this this entire argument calls for a great deal of generosity uh, on the part of everyone, uh, but generosity, unfortunately, does not seem to be in ample supply in American public life today. Uh, maybe Catholics can help uh, do something. So what about those LGBT parents, for example, who feel that they are being discriminated against? Um, adopting a child or trying to adopt a child from a Catholic or Christian adoption agency and and being denied. And we have seen uh, cases uh, of that. Um, so what do you make of, of those situations? I think the Catholic agency is entirely within its rights to say that we will place children in family situations which hundreds of years of human experience have taught us our best for the children. And if um, LGBT people wish to contest that at law, uh, I don't think they're really fighting about children. I think they're fighting to compel the Catholic Church to adapt its teaching on the morality of human love to their uh, views. And the Catholic Church isn't going to do that. And if the state acquiesces in this aggression against Catholic adoption agencies, the state is harming children because Catholic adoption agencies do a very good job for for kids in need. It seems like a lot of the questions around religious liberty today are raised by Christians who are worried um, about, you know, how a secular society might be imposing itself on them. But Christians are a majority in this country. So isn't it a bit of a strange position to be in for for Christians to um, be the great upholders of this principle of religious liberty while maintaining, you know, a majority and a lot of influence and power in this country? Well, I'm I'm not sure how influential Christian conviction is in uh, running the affairs of the United States, Sebastian. But I think the deeper question is whose accomplishment is religious freedom. The conventional telling of that story is that this is an accomplishment of the secular enlightenment. I don't think that's true. As my friend Robert Louis Wilkin uh, argued very persuasively in a recent book, uh, the Christian defense of religious freedom really for everyone goes back to the second century. In that sense, I think through the convolutions and distortions of history, uh, the deeper roots of religious freedom in the Western world are, in fact, Christian roots. They're not simply Enlightenment roots. Enlightenment added something to the mix, to be sure. I think the community with the thickest account 
of religious freedom today, going back to the Second Vatican Council, is the Catholic Church. Well, let's move to the Catholic Church. Um, you know, why is this question of religious liberty today so important specifically to the Catholic Church? What is unique about their interest in it? The Catholic Church defends religious freedom for everyone. I, I think that has to be stressed. We are, we are, we Catholics are not in the battle for religious freedom for sectarian purposes. We are in this for everyone and for the constitutional order. Uh, we do that because we believe it's true. We do that because we believe God wishes to be adored by people who are free and are not coerced into seeming to believe uh, or to worship. We defend religious freedom because it puts limits on, on the state, and that's an important thing. Uh, and we defend religious freedom because it protects our people. It protects the conscience rights of doctors who don't wish to be involved in immoral activity. It protects the conscience rights of clergy to speak their minds. It protects the conscience rights of teachers to teach the truth of Catholic faith, even when that uh, challenges certain secular shibboleths. And all of that is good for society. It makes for a much freer, richer public life than the cancel culture of political correctness, which is a real threat to religious freedom today. In this podcast series, we're looking at um, a lot of you know critical voting issues ahead of the election, um, issues that are really fundamental and and causing a stir across the country in many ways. Um, for example, you know immigration, you know children separated from their families at the border, um, climate change and extreme weather systems, the protection of the unborn is obviously a, a very big topic, um, the pandemic and access to healthcare. Um, I'm wondering, you know, in the midst of all of these issues that seem to be front and center, what the case for prioritizing questions of religious liberty at this moment would be? I think in forming conscience uh, for voting, serious Catholics uh, make prudential judgments about how to uh, weigh the gravity of particular issues. Uh I have long believed uh, that the issue of the right to life of all um, is utterly fundamental to forming conscience. And I believe that the defense of religious freedom for all is equally fundamental. And unfortunately, the 2020 Democratic uh, platform uh, is a real threat to uh, religious freedom, as I explained uh, in my Catholic press column in September. It threatens to uh, rinse out religious freedom and reduce it to a, a question of personal lifestyle choice rather than uh, religious freedom being a matter that protects professionals, for example, doctors, nurses, other healthcare providers from uh, being required by law to perform ac actions that they deem gravely immoral. So I, this, is, this is pretty high up on the scale, it seems to me. And, you know, it also, the religious freedom applies to the capacity of the church to take a stand in favor of a generous immigration policy, to take a stand for a genuine ecology, 
that includes human ecology, uh, this is all part of the package of religious freedom. One final question for you, George. Um, considering everything that we've discussed, the, the long history of this principle of religious liberty uh, in this country, its importance from a Catholic and Christian perspective, um, you know, I'm wondering how you approach, you know, your civic responsibility to to cast a vote uh, in November. Uh, I won't ask you to reveal who you're voting for or to endorse a candidate, but how does how does all of this factor into to your process of discernment? It, it factors very heavily into it, but it's it's an across-the-board factoring, Sebastian. It's not just a question of, of the president. Uh, it's a question of the Senate, the House of Representatives. Uh, when my children were young and we talked about voting, I, I reminded them that you're not just voting for a person in the case of a presidential election. You're voting for all the people that that person will bring into office with them. I think the same is true uh, for congressional and state legislative ra- uh, races. Uh, you're not just electing an individual, you're electing a platform, you're electing somebody who's part of a party. Um, all of this needs to be weighed uh, in conscience and then a prudential uh, decision uh, rendered. Thank you very much, George, for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Sebastian. Good to be with you. Next time on Voting Catholic. I wouldn't have thought that I would spend this much effort convincing people that the science is real. We take a hard look at the reality of climate change and how polarization of the issue has put the United States and the world in grave danger. If we don't address these very critical topics and don't act soon to mitigate future climate change, the world will be around, but it won't be one that we want to live in. And later in the series, how a traumatic experience changed a young feminist's view of abortion. It was in that moment when my own life was threatened that I realized that I couldn't take part in this ongoing cycle of violence and oppression. For complete coverage of the 2020 election from America Media, visit americamagazine.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting us. It's easy to do. Go to americamagazine.org slash donate or subscribe to our award-winning print magazine. Thank you for your support. And if you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please let them know. That's the simplest way to spread the word about the series. Voting Catholic is a production of America Media, a Jesuit ministry. This episode was written and produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Sound design and mixing by Ashley Spillane. With production assistance from Kevin Robles and Erica Rasmussen. Art by Sean Tripoli and Allison Hamilton. It was recorded at a safe distance in the William J. Loeschert studio at America Media in New York City. Voting Catholic was made possible by the generous support of Beth and Tom Rainey. I'm your host and executive producer, Sebastian Gomes. Thanks for listening. Voting Catholic is brought to you in part by the Rosary of Modern Sorrows, a rosary and meditation that focuses on Catholic social justice issues. Each decade addresses the sorrows of racial injustice, climate change, immigration, women and children, and more. Rediscover the rosary visit contemplativerebellion.com.